0: Okay, so it's recording now. Uh, um, this is my fascinating vocal warm up. Don't yeah. know if the listeners at home will want to hear me just croaking well, erotically it's, 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 into the
1: mic. It's quite a nice way to start the show. Uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, is, might, that, is that upsetting for the well, dictaphone
1: well I, I might move it around a little <laughs> bit um, to, to get different levels and stuff like yeah that. no
0: worries what I, guess... I do when people scratch the top of my head or my soft very belly or the parts of my flanks that have internal contact with my genitals I'm not like a cat in that respect like my kidneys palpated <laughs>
1: I've come to be aware of this group of people who, when they hear certain kinds of sound, they have like an oral orgasm, like an orgasm in their brain yeah. or something like this. ASMR? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's kind of made me feel much better about the idea of having background sound. As if I like, cause <laughs> I, that apparently, people have told me, I'm getting feedback, that they have having yeah. kind of uh, nice experiences uh, with the background sound. So I wonder if that purring will have a similar effect. I hope so. Kind of like an, an, an oral orgasm in my ears, at least, when you were doing it. Um, so that was quite nice for me. An an
0: orgasm A-U-G-A-S-M Yeah It's just nice to have somebody In very close proximity Whispering intimately Into your ear That's just a nice thing It is nice I think I would probably Struggle personally To differentiate that From somebody's What? Crinkling some foil Or whatever? Isn't that a Yeah I think that's One of the triggers
1: Yeah Yeah Apparently like aeroplanes and uh, stuff like that in the background have have, have been good for people So sometimes background sound is is a a bone of contention for me and and listeners Because listeners and me have different opinions on it (laughs) Um, So it's nice to know that I'm also making some people happy At the same time as I'm making them disappointed and annoyed Hello, I'm Dave, I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with James. Hello James. Hello Dave. <laughs> and it's even more weird than normal because we've had a literally had a little bit of on-mic conversation before I've introduced you. but norm- Normally there's been some off-mic conversation and then I say all of that
0: stuff. You'll get it as a blooper reel at the end. Yeah, with, I mean a uh, little bit peek behind the curtain. <laughs> right.
1: Well, I think that'll definitely be the way I started. We'll, we'll see. People, <laughs> lis- Listeners will know. I, I don't yet know. There may be something else that comes up that I have to include at the beginning instead.
0: But um, yeah, the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Well, I know you through Hayley, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I would know you through Hayley, who was a mate of mine that I should have known at university, but didn't, and then met after university through a mutual friend who was running these sort of music collective jam session things and I'm utterly unmusical like I'm completely unmusical I gave up like the recorder because I couldn't master it instantly because you know like most quite intelligent children I got sick of anything that I wasn't almost instantly good at and gave it up but I'm, I'm hopeless like I, I couldn't do the recorder at all but he needed somebody reasonably sort of you know charismatic to kind of string things together as an MC so I was there doing that and uh, got chatting to Haley and uh, we hung out more and that sort of stuff and she was in the same band As you, apples for everyone, and then the same double act as you, reactionaries, and that is how I know you. So yeah, coincidental party, being in the same place at the same time, and then uh, an acquaintanceship just kind of spontaneously emerged uh, without us really having to exchange Any details, pleasantries, do each other favors, help each other move a sofa, your shelves up.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting how that works as well. Because so, like, Haley was in that band with me, and then I met you. And when we were in that band, we were also sort of trying to sort of make that band a kind of, I don't know, an experience as much as a a band. And and so we sort of like uh, near the end, in fact, for our last gig, I think we we were supported by your improv group at the time. Oh yeah. Back that kitten, right? Yes, that was the one. When was that remind me? Um Just oh, it, bell. Well, I don't know where it was. I can't remember the name of the pub. It's in London Bridge. Oh, uh the Miller maybe? That's right, the yeah. Miller. And so that was our, our last gig, was the first time you, I sort of saw you perform, I guess. Yeah. And I knew that you were doing comedy nights, you ran comedy nights yourself. And mm-hmm. so when I set up Stand Up Tragedy, you were like the the, the only useful contact I had in my, <laughs> my book. And you very graciously gave me lots of other people's uh, details and mm-hmm. I could reach out to them. So in many ways, a, a big sort of chunk of what I've done with Stand Up Tragedy couldn't really have happened without that initial kindness on yeah, your part. So and, I am very grateful. And you're
0: welcome, Dave, you're but, massive. It,
1: it's been well. It's been it's been excellent, and it's been it, but it's been interesting for me to watch your work develop as well. Like hmm. I, I, I think yeah, I have sort of saw your stuff quite a lot of times at different points, and sort of now I think it's got to a really high standard, and I really really enjoy it. And at first I sort of thought, well, like when I was seeing your work and not meaning any no no, no water under the bridge the... now because I you've yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. got but but at that time I was like this guy. He has got something there's something interesting about what he's doing, but at the same time like the people you were booking were really excellent rather yeah, yeah, than, yeah. than your work yeah. yourself. But now you're 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 you yeah. know, totally excellent. Oh now, you're very so. kind.
0: Um yeah, like with the when I particularly when I was first starting out with the solo stand up stuff, like I was kinda of changing Mediums, right? Because I've been doing improv for years and years and years, and was like pretty confident doing that sort of stuff. But when I switched to doing stand up a bit over three years ago, different set of skills, different set of muscles, and the couple of gigs that I did for you early on were really bad, and I was definitely like running before I could walk, and that was.
1: But I think you're an excellent poor. you're an excellent example. Look, I, uh, Ira Glass, the podcaster who does This American Life, talks about um, yeah. trusting your who who you're into. Like it doesn't matter mm. if you're good yet, if you just. If if you, if you like good people, you can be good, right? Yeah. And I think you're a really good example of that. You knew what what made comedy work. It took you a while to work out how to put your knowledge into practice, but mm-hmm. you but you had the taste, mm-hmm. like, from the start, and I think that's a really, like, interesting thing to have watched from the outside and kind of, you know, I, I've, I've developed in my own ways as well, and so it's always interesting to look at where other artists are. I mean, if the first podcast I made was terrible, um, and now I guess I make okay podcasts. So, like, it's it's definitely Interesting to watch other people develop, and yeah. and yeah, and 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 like I say, thanks so much for the, those initial contacts because that's no, that's so important. Yeah. And actually, one of the things I always say as well um, about trying to get into the arts mm-hmm. is that the way that the arts are now is that you have to, well, the, you know. I'm sure you agree knowing where your politics come from Mm -hmm. that it's harder to get into the arts unless you are a white middle class man like us but it's also harder to get into the arts if you didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge what I have realised is the way to break into the arts guys listening at home is just make some friends who went to Oxford and Cambridge (laughs) you don't have to go to Oxford and Cambridge you can just make some friends and Hayley was like my gateway into that like yeah yeah like and you 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 went to Cambridge right? I did yeah Um, and like through that kind of process of comedy there or was
0: that i mean this is the thing like when you're talking about the oxbridge white man middle class clique etc and that yeah. being that making it easier it's definitely easier but like i will emphasize the fact that like it was still too hard for me like yeah. i'm at the moment i'm technically a full-time comedian but that's only because i can't find another job no, like no, so sure. this is the thing yeah yeah, yeah. i'm like, not suggesting
1: I mean, either of us are successful <laughs> i'm just suggesting <laughs> that it's easier for us to be unsuccessful yeah
0: this is true no, that would be <laughs> the, the idea that i'd be successful would be quite the quite the libelous accusation yeah i mean you know yeah, as you say though like it's definitely like it's the lowest difficulty setting for getting into the arts and that's that's totally fair remind me of the question which I've now straight
1: I wasn't really asking a question so much as giving a, a tip to listeners about how to break <laughs> oh, into the arts and yeah. make a friend who has kind of access to people who are have access to more privilege than you do and sort of like <laughs> you can sort of like pass the privilege down I think that's yeah. a, you know and I tried to pass that privilege down as well and I know that's something that you're kind of doing with your night that you're running now yeah. as well yeah that.
0: that's part of an attempt to do so yeah
1: yeah which I guess we'll, t- we'll talk about that a little bit later because sure. The second question I ask uh, everybody, and I guess we've already touched on this to a certain extent, but we'll see what you say, is what do you do now?
0: What do I do now? Yeah. At the moment, I am technically a full-time comedian, mostly job hunting. <laughs> um, in terms of what I'm doing uh, kind of creatively, I am basically a jobbing stand-up and MC for hire. I run my own night, Quantum Leopard, at uh, the Rag Factory, uh, just off London's trendy and exciting brick lane. I do a, an actual play, role-playing podcast called the Rusty Cool Gaming Podcast. What else do I do? Oh, I do bits of teaching here and there, teaching stand up bit of improv here and there. I'm not so much with the doing improv myself these days because it's a massive time suck and really hard work and you need to coordinate a lot of people in order to do it. Whereas with stand up it's kind of oh, is this thing that one person can do in one place at one time? I will consult the whole group as to whether I can do this gig. Oh, I can do it. Brilliant, good, I'll take the gig. Thanks very much. Whereas with improv you have to do that with between Six and twelve people, which is a bit bit of a faff really, oh also i'm you know, frantically uh, job searching uh, please employ me
1: <laughs> right and I mean when did comedy come into your life like how, wh- hmm. when do you remember getting into that?
0: I remember as a child um, being exposed to a lot of the kind of the very old kind of I'm not sure it was on Radio 4 at the time BBC radio comedy like Tony Hancock and I'm sorry I haven't a clue and that sort of thing Um, I'm sorry I'll read that again that sort of stuff on kind of you know long family car trips because my dad was a big fan of that sort of stuff and I remember at a very young age trying to you know as you do as a child um, engaging in incredibly ambitious projects that get dropped as soon as you know somebody jangles some keys or something shiny happens or like there's a loud noise or uh, there's a dog nearby doing that sort of thing and I remember watching a lot of I suppose kind of like the second wave of somewhat alternative stand-ups on the telly as a child when I must have been what about 10, 11, 12 something like that seeing people like on on the Sunday show people like uh, I remember seeing Paul Tomkinson and Adam Bloom and Donna MacPhail and people like that on doing stand-up there and that was the first time I think I properly that I can remember seeing stand-up as a medium I remember seeing improv stuff and um, when I was kind of we were had a family holiday so got relatives in Canada and there was loads of improv on the telly and I was like oh that looks that looks interesting but kind of mentally far back away and did loads of sort of school drama stuff without really thinking about it too much and then when I got to uni I kind of thought well I want to do something stagey performancey but I don't have to. I'm doing like a really quite an intense course I don't have the time to learn a script also my memory is terrible also, the effort to reward ratio for learning a script and then performing a script well, it's, it's quite poor. Whereas practicing some improv and turning up and doing adequately, the effort to reward ratio for that is pretty good. So basically, I, because I like showing off um, and don't like work, um, I went for improv as a thing with a group called Ice uh, at Cambridge. And then after uni, moved to London. There were a few bits and pieces around improv wise in London, but it wasn't quite as it was now. Now it's grown quite substantially um there are a few kind of workshops and things like that dotted around um but nothing that was really quite what i was after so after about a year or so of kind of faffing around and going uh doing two and a half hour round trips to balham uh, for the hoopla workshops which is still going and i would recommend for anybody who's uh thinking of just starting out I sat up my own group uh with various people mates 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 uh fat kitten and gradually got more and more people over time kept that going for ages and then yeah various other kind of improv related projects and then a sort of gradual transition to stand-up but you asked me how I started and that was almost an entire performance catalogue so I decided to no, it's good. cut off before we got to too close to the present day
1: right so there's still a little bit more to to explore yeah yeah what's the difference between improv and stand-up like what yeah what do you like about both of those things and why have sure. you chosen to 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 focus on stand-up
0: um improv is a very it's a very democratic medium which has pros and cons so like it's democratic in the sense that everyone can do it it's very inclusive i say it's very inclusive as a straight white man, blah, blah, blah. Improv is getting better and better in terms of, uh, you know, gender inclusion. It still has a bit of a race problem in terms of like almost everyone who does it is white and middle class. But I think that's largely because of like the social origins of the medium. And I think it is gradually expanding, though not very quickly. But the flip side of it being a democratic medium is that there's it's very very supportive. There's a very there's a great attitude of uh, you can do it too. You just need to open yourself out. Everyone can do it. Yes, and you know it's very affirmatory. The flip side of that is that often there's in my view sometimes that goes a bit too far and people don't sense themselves for. Quality quite so much as they could, and I've been backstage watching other groups from time to time, or been in the pub afterwards with them, and they'll have done genuinely awful shows, or they'll really have like crossed the line. With um, in terms of content, in terms of making people feel uncomfortable. And there'll be loads of backslapping slapping of like, yeah, you were great. That was amazing. Yeah, I loved it when you did this and this and this. And there's not enough self-analysis, self-criticism when it comes to making things better. Okay, like, well, okay, this bit worked, but what didn't here? Why was there this prolonged gap where the audience wasn't really responding or seemed to physically recoil? It can be um, a bit of a, an ultra-affirmatory, over-supportive echo chamber of back patting which is i think quite quite resistible yeah, um, yeah. as a set of personality traits and also because the infrastructure with british improv isn't quite there it's getting better and it's growing and there's a lot of good workshops out there and that sort of stuff but it's infrastructurally it is still 20 30 years behind how it is in the us and certainly in canada in terms of like the improv theaters and it's not something that you can ever reasonably expect to make a living from. Whereas with comedy, although it's incredibly hard, like stand-up comedy, although it's incredibly hard, you can just about maybe manage it if you are happy living from lentil to lentil and trying to work out whether you can turn black mold into a sustainable food source. But I mean, what a great advantage of improv is that it is it is very freeing and creative and it's a very good way. I still use a lot of improv techniques when I'm writing stand-up in terms of like generating new ideas, connecting idea A with idea B, taking it in direction C, in which, you know, not things that you would necessarily think of. There's a lot of stand-up techniques that are really stale unless you have like some sort of improv element added to them. Um, You know, oh, pull back and reveal this. Like, well, I've seen that before. You know what I mean? Like... I can there's a a lot of low level stand up in particular that I watch that where I'm like I can almost entirely predict where the punchline is going sometimes word for word of exactly what they are going to say or at the very least the idea that they're hinting at with the pullback and reveal. And with good improv, you don't have that level of predictability, which is nice when you see it done well. The flip side of that is that, um, you know, because of the quality control aspect with improv stuff, a lot of it is very difficult to watch if you enjoy the medium in the same way that comedians will often watch, like stand-up comedians will watch other stand-ups and not necessarily laugh, but think to themselves, oh, I see how that works. I'm a lot like that with improv. And I'll be like, okay, they've done this, but, you know, they've done that by doing that, they've blocked this, they've closed off this opportunity. What they really could have done is do this with this element and taken this in this direction. And that can be quite... Yeah, challenging to participate in. And the sad fact is that because of the youth of British Improv, a lot of people will see a bad improv show and go, I hate improv. If they see a bad stand-up show, they won't necessarily go, I hate stand-up. Right. Which means that, unfortunately for british improv to really thrive the bottom 80 percent of it in terms of quality sort of needs to not happen which is a horrible thing to say but i i do stand by that opinion there's some really great stuff out there like the the top end of it is absolutely you know phenomenal and enormous fun to watch like ostentatious um like that's an amazing thing they've really brought improv to a non-improv audience um and that's another thing about improv is that it's because it's such a close close close-knit community there's a lot of people The Standard Improv Show has an audience almost entirely comprised of improvisers and maybe a couple of their friends but mostly their partners rather than their friends because of you know the limited patience threshold
1: because it's people trying stuff out on stage to a certain extent yeah and and making mistakes trying things out yeah that's great and important yeah yeah yeah. but when you when you do that in in public on a stage you have to think about like i think yeah the the quality needs to get there at some point and so i think great improvisers have done the work that means when they get on that stage they can just kind of go wherever whereas if you haven't done the work and you're and you're doing that repeatedly in in public and making mistakes and not thinking about how to improve on that and not crafting it I can see how that could be a very kind of tiresome thing as an audience member to to watch yeah I mean I've seen improv like that and haven't enjoyed it
0: I think part of the difference and why I've kind of moved a bit more to stand up is that with stand up a lot more of it is there's a bit more it feels more like that there's more respect for an audience's time um, I think right. with a lot of improv stuff, a lot of it is like, yeah, we're here, we're doing it. It's, it's got this kind of like, at the, the most deplorable end of it, it's got this kind of vague new age spiritualism to right. it. This idea that you are there for yourselves and to open yourself up creatively and you're not necessarily there for an audience. And the fact that you're in an utterly non-commercial medium means that you're not dependent on an audience for money. And that has its own, you know, that is freeing. But at the same time, it means that you're not tethered by the responsibility of having to entertain an audience who've... Got an investment in the show, right. whether that cash is upfront or part of a free model that's paid afterwards. Or whatever, that, that's um, you know that's something about which I feel quite strongly, but it's quite a separate issue. If you're a stand-up, the only people that you interact with really are the audience. If you're doing improv, you're mostly interacting with other people that are also on stage. So other people on stage have got your back, which is wonderfully supportive, but it does mean that you can to an extent cut out the audience. With stand-up, you cannot do that. Mm-hmm. You are reliant on your audience, and your the yeah. audience is your instrument, not your fellow performers, and that is simultaneously harder and easier um, yeah. so that's kind of part of the contrast yeah I mean stand-up is fundamentally quite uh for all that reliance on an audience in the sense that improv is democratic stand-up is almost populist if you see what I mean like it's quite demagogic like you are the one person dictating to an audience but at the same time you need to say things that are going to be to some extent popular in inverted commas not necessarily widely appreciated as in agreed with but appreciated in the sense of understood engaged with so you have to do that you are forced to do that by the medium in a way that I don't think you are within Pro for quite so much
1: it's interesting thinking about these things I guess in terms of politics, a little bit like I, mm. I think in these terms as well, and it's frustrating in a way for me. Like I politically regular listeners will know that generally I am a, I'm an anarchist, really a pragmatic one, a one who kind of has broad sympathies with communism, and that that can kind of sit kind of strangely with my attitude to, the, to art. Like mm. what, you know, in terms of the of making stuff, I like there to be someone in charge. I like there to be hierarchy structures. All mm. of the stuff that I don't like. In, in, in politics, in life Which is not to say I haven't I mean I've certainly ex- experimented With trying to make kind of democratic art Apples for Everyone The band we were talking about Was a kind of experiment in that But that experiment kind of taught me That there are, is a lot of things you lose in that And it's kind of interesting I see a lot of parallels With my kind of Apples for Everyone experiment yeah. And your like foray into improv In the, you know it's, it's, it's wonderfully appealing ideologically But then when you get into it It doesn't really make <laughs> the art you want to make
0: yeah Um, I mean, also just generally from an admin point of view, organising an improv group is a hell of a lot harder than organising your own work as a stand-up, irrespective of it's easier to get stand-up gigs than improv gigs, like organising to get a set number of people around for a rehearsal on a weekly or fortnightly basis. That's really hard. Um, That's a big chunk of a lot of people's time. Even if you have the most reliable people, say you've got 10 people and uh, each person misses, say, 5% of engagements because of birthdays, weddings, funerals, illness, etc. That is still quite a lot of people who aren't at all of the things and it all adds up and add to that it's like oh i had too much to drink last night oh no transport yeah. blah, blah 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 like it all adds up and gets a bit wearing and also you know frankly it's somebody who's organized a lot of stuff the best way to make sure that something doesn't happen is to delegate it um and you know that that will happen yeah <laughs>
1: so right i mean that's very true like and i uh, yeah, again, I can see a lot of parallels between my apples for Everyone experience and, and your improv experience in that respect, that uh, these kind of lovely egalitarian uh, experiences need a leader, like yeah. which doesn't mean like a leader leader, it means an administrator, it yeah. means often you're in a position where you don't, you're not exactly... In charge because no one will listen to you, but you yeah. are sending out the emails, doing all of the arrangements, yeah. doing all that stuff. And like and like you said, when when people do say, "Oh, I'll do that for you," and you say, "Oh, thank God," it doesn't get done, and then you end up having to do it two days before the yeah. thing, and you, yeah. you, you do it at a time when it's not convenient for you, and you think, if I hadn't have delegated it, I've c- <laughs> actually had a better experience. Yeah, with
0: this. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's also. I mean, I think having somebody. <sighs> Somebody who rules with consent, I think, is yeah, fine. I mean, this right. is a, a lot less... I mean, it's not less of a contradiction for me because, you know... I'm a socialist of the hard left and you know I believe in the smack of thumb government so yeah I mean absolutely um, you know, it's if that for you it fits
1: very <laughs> fits very well actually you do describe yourself as hard left in your comedy yeah. which is an interesting
0: thing to be putting into your comedy
1: I guess like it's you're a political comedian right
0: yeah I, this is an interesting one actually so I, I would have grown myself more and this is going to be quite a fine finicky distinction that I would never expect anybody else to make ever because this is more about self-description than it is about what should appear on uh, a billing or a flyer information or whatever I describe myself more as being like a comedian that is political rather than a political comedian so there are a lot of really great political comedians out there people like Cake uh, Smirthway Chris Coltrane fabulous people who do like straight up political comedy their comedy is about politics politics is what they talk about that is their principal thing if they if they do something that's a bit more personal then that is a digression for them and it always feeds back into doing politics stuff whereas what I try and do is I basically because with political comedy I think most of the people who end up seeing political comedy as punters are people who basically already agree with it whereas I try and and that's not a criticism of the people who are doing that. I think mm. it's very important. It's great. I you know, some of my favourite shows that I saw at Edinburgh last year were political comedy shows but that is in part because I basically agree with them (laughs) but what I try and do is comedy that is um, that's got its own thrust and its own independent life and then ties back to political things so it sneaks a little bit of it in under the radar and tries to kind of like normalise it and generalise it rather than having it in being like sort of subculturally siloed you know what I mean so like I mean I do a bit in my last year's Edinburgh show which I'm touring around the country oh in the front room tour we'll talk about that a bit later Um, that's quite fun which is about like it's a, a very standard everyday topic about the etiquette of the selection of an appropriate urinal in a gentleman's lavatory but there's like half a dozen political points that I put in there I start off with a little bit of kind of you know discussion about like there's a tiny bit of feminism and gender politics and then later on there's various bits and pieces Um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's going to see it but, but like there's other bits and pieces that I kind of slip in under the radar and um other segments I did in my show, I had this bit where um, I'm talking about the story about when I accidentally end up going out with a young lady who was super rich. Crazily insanely rich and there's various political points in that, but it's not an explicitly political piece. Well or and something sort of so
1: with that piece as with that bit and mm. that whole section of that show as well, that's you're not making political points so much as people are laughing about the the political situation within that is part of the humour. Like yeah, you yeah. are laughing at yourself for being hard left to a certain extent at yeah. times. <laughs> and you know, and you're kind of bringing out some of the contradictions in some of that as well, which is really, you know, which which makes us kind of the audience feel at ease. You're not sort mm. of saying be you you you're quite I think interesting in what you're doing that you don't say to the audience agree with me you're like this is what I am yeah anyway let's get on with the yeah. completely separate thing and and you know when you come back to it those points although I mean I think the, the most political part of your show is kind of a critical piece about 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 this state of com- comedy in general and oh the hat topics spit. right yeah, yeah and and so and you know, when we've been talking about comedy so far in this conversation, what I think you're you're you've been clearly demonstrating is you have a critical mind. You mm-hmm. look at things. You're very much about analysing, improving, kind of you know you know all, all of the best parts of uh, of, of a communist uh, regime. <laughs> um, but 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 you but you like that's the kind of mind you bring to this. Is like mm-hmm. a, a, we will craft. I will I will evaluate, and that's something you're doing just sort of more broadly in in terms of the comedy scene, if you like. One of the things you're doing yeah. with your night i yeah. think is to to by in action demonstrate yeah. a critique of other nights and not yeah. necessarily even nights but people who book like right? people who decide yeah. what goes on stage and i'm a person who does a bit of booking and decides what <laughs> and goes you on do stage. very well and like, you
0: are not not on my list of targets sure so. <laughs> and
1: i mean I, well, well i mean again maybe you know i enjoy what you're doing because i agree with it yeah um but 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 uh, but, but it's interesting to see somebody else kind of grappling with those kind of mm. questions particularly from the a similarly structural kind of yeah position so it's interesting what you're doing with quantum leopard i mean what is the policy what's the principle of po- quantum Leopard?
0: Cracky. basically the thrust of it is to do a night that is good for punters and good for acts because there are a lot of nights out there that are good for one or the other but not both or in some cases either yeah, um quite a lot so of them. yeah <laughs> i mean the, the year that i set up like so i did last year I, I did the sums last year i did 149 gigs the year before that i did 137 gigs like that's a lot of gigs and oh sorry um, right. you've, you've got a very loud yes, voice which like is great projecting i'm used to for the station yeah. <laughs> 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 the, the, the kitchen table that's why i was I, no, fine hanging. don't worry there's a lot of nights out there that are run by and for depressing white middle-aged men who um, are channelling the rage in their recent contentious custody battle into a generalised hatred of all women and those on the front row in particular. They are generally hateful knights with often hateful comedians that are just... Not enjoyable, like you know, people I think come out to a comedy night because they want a good night out, they don't come out because they want to be roundly and personally and systematically abused for their you know life choices, for their appearance, for their choice of partner, all of this. So, Quantum Leopard, you know, our kind of our content policy is no racism, no sexism, no homophobia, no transphobia, dot dot dot. The phobias, mm, all of this, no rape jokes, no uh, no picking on the audience as well. There's no you know, a little bit audience interaction is fine but I, I think people do in their heart of hearts know where the line is personally my line is i won't at any stage ask an audience um like an, an open question or mock an audience member for their answer to a question so dave you seem nice where did you go on holiday that is a closed question give me a five minute discussion of your recent holiday Dave that is the kind of open question that's a real nuisance that's basically the comedian going "Ah, oh, can't be bothered working now why don't you do it for yeah. several minutes oh, it's not my job can't be asked right. and that puts a lot of pressure on the audience and that's why people don't sit in the front row that and the personal abuse obviously which right. is obviously back right. out of order well
1: that's the thing you don't even know if you do provide that five minute story about your holiday you don't know how you're going to be attacked for yeah. that story so exactly. you don't you, if you trust Cost, that's an island for pricks yeah, yeah, like yeah,
0: yeah. it's not yeah yeah, you know it's not a nice thing yeah um and in terms of what i'm doing for the performers also in terms of for audiences like we have two intervals of decent length and there's never a segment of the show that's more than about 40 minutes which is about the length of an average bladders retention (laughs) patients in my experience we you know we try and keep it like that there's yeah reasonable breaks it's in zone one it's pay what you like it's bring your own booze because it's an unlicensed venue all of this so it keeps it nice and cheap and affordable and if you want to pay more that's great and you can and i encourage you to do so but if you can't then that's fine and the toys are in so most people don't have very much money right so if you want to come out and spend no pounds then that's fine as long as you've enjoyed the night and uh, had a good lovely enthusiastic time and a super supportive of the acts that's great you do that you come out i want you in my audience i don't want you know banker m- cocaine pants who's gonna you know drop me 50 quid but be a boorish twat all the way through it and be right. heckling all the way through and like the flip side is that like we ask our audiences not to heckle which i don't think is a big ask like even if you think you're helping, it's all right trust me we've we've worked on this in advance like right we've got that there have a chat with us afterwards do that we like a chat afterwards that's fine and in terms of what I'm doing for the acts like we always have like a pro or very good semi-pro headliner we have some semi-pro acts in doing, doing 10 spots are really good and this is the bit in terms of like the helping people up that I'm trying to do so this is a really big bottleneck in comedy between people doing open mic five minute spots and a paid work and b 10 minute spots particularly in London but that's where most of comedy in this country happens so my attempt to kind of help resolve that bottleneck is to do five minute spots and um, the five minute spots are, uh, um i sift through a, a lot of them uh, i get a lot of applications i only have like five or six and i i reject about 80 percent of the applications so don't worry audience it's not going to be a night of pure open mic comedy he said crossing himself i don't even believe that that's how how much i want to protect myself from open mic comedy. And then the best of those by audience vote uh, comes back for a paid uh ten minute spot at a future one. So audience gets to decide. It's uh for a lot of acts it's kind of this is the first pay work that they are gonna be getting and it's a nice way of kind of like smoothing the path. It's all done on a sort of a, a profit share basis as well. And people have been really lovely and generous. So with some acts that we've had for that, genuinely they said to me afterwards, that was a really lovely gig and I have been paid more for that gig than I've been paid for any gig in my life ever thank you and that's because of the audience who are lovely and if you're not lovely then I will murder you and leave you in a bin but in an inclusive and caring way
1: yeah I mean that's interesting I found that the best opportunities I've had to pay acts have been in Mm. in situations where it's been pay what you like. I mean, yeah. not so much for Stand Up Tragedy, it's hard to get people to pay for a mixed bill show, I think, particularly in Edinburgh, yeah. but recently I've been doing Stand Up Tragedy Presents nights, and that's just been a split between me and the other person, plus uh, some money for Harv on the on the sound decks. Hello, Harv. But yeah, and, and and we I've actually had money that's a decent amount to pay. Mm. In the past I've paid acts, but I, I guess when you have so many acts on a, a night, as a Stand Up Tragedy, we tend to have ten acts, you're splitting between ten, It's it goes back to apples for everyone kind of pain yeah. you're splitting the money between so many people that even when you when you have a really good audience you can't pay people very much but people are very grateful for the, even that small amount because that's how rarely people get paid yeah. and treated well. Yeah. Like if, if they know that you're trying to do the right thing. And I've always been very upfront with people, explained the situation when I haven't been able to pay acts, I've explained that to them as well yeah. and all of that stuff. And that's that's all people are much nicer if you're up, up front about it. And that's one of the things I like about what you're doing is that mm-hmm. you're you're being upfront about it not just with the, the acts but also with the public because mm. as you say, you're trying to make a night that's good for all parts of this agreement. Because I think I think performance yeah. is an agreement. Yeah. I think I uh, sometimes I've thought of it as a contract but I think uh, that's kind of more problematic than an agreement a conversation yeah, yeah. You, you both bring something to it the audience and the performers yeah. and so it's good to have all of that out in the open for everyone to yeah. see
0: I mean you as an audience have given me the privilege of this amount of your attention In in response I need to not waste your time and not abuse you or I mean well I mean politely criticize you from a political point of view possibly <laughs> like it's not it's not going to be yeah, that's, not, that's not that's per-
1: not personally directed at yeah. an individual necessarily there yeah.
0: um, oh the other thing I should say is that we also uh, we try very hard at Quantum Leopard for um, gender balance booking which is a real struggle you do end up with a lot of all male bills particularly outside of London where the density of comedians is lower and yeah we try very hard for it I always shoot for 50 50 I sometimes achieve it, but I, I always book with the idea that it's going to be 50 50. But it's a bit trickier because A, I'm a boy, which tilts it one way anyway, and also I can't predict who is going to win the competition for the following month. And I book about six months in advance. Right. So busy, busy, busy. But, you know, there will always be at least one female feature act. There will always be at least ideally two, probably three female competitors in the open mic section. That sort of stuff. So you know, I try do my best,
1: and well, and you're being very vocal about wanting that as well, asking yeah. people for it. I mean, I know that sometimes it can be hard to 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 balance not just in terms of gender in terms of race all of these mm. all of these areas which are really important to balance at Stand Up Tragedy I've been lucky in the because it's a mixed bill show like some areas of the arts are more white and male yeah. and middle class than others comedy is the, probably the worst
0: We're fucking right? albinos yeah. yeah
1: and so because of that like I and mean, well I mean it's not that there aren't like loads of like people of colour who are making comedy they're just not necessarily making them in the same clubs there's a lot of, yeah. kind of complicated elements like that but definitely in terms of gender I mean you'll know much more about this as someone in it, within that industry mm-hmm. but I think it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that we have all of these horrible misogynistic uh, comedians out there making horrible misogynistic comedy that is not a very welcoming environment for yeah. women to come into and yeah. perform um, and also they're not booked if they do try and, yeah. do and I know, and I know loads of amazing uh, women comedians I actually prefer if, if a night's got women on the bill I'm more likely to yeah. go yeah, yeah, and if, if uh, I my favourite comedians generally are women and I think part of the reason is because they're they're not doing the same old jokes. It's nothing to do with politics. It's just that they're not doing the yeah. same old jokes. They're doing something new. They're talking about different experiences yeah. than we've heard up there. They, it's so refreshing. They can't
0: get away with, in inverted commas, doing the same old jokes. The number of, like, female-specific ye tropes in stand-up are very limited. Like... One or two, like oh, my boyfriend's stroke husband is terrible. Oh, periods, and that's pretty much the end of the list. And whereas everything else, all of the other trad stand-up tropes, are basically like those are those are more or less a male domain.
1: Well, I mean, the most more, uh, even with that cliche of like women comedians are going to talk about periods, well, mm. sh- they should. They, they're yeah. they're not, they, not that they should. I mean, they should talk about whatever they want to talk about. But yeah, but but the the very fact that we all moan about period jokes really shows how successful those jokes are going to be because mm. we all have this weird like. Um, uh, discussed around that kind of uh, bodily <laughs> yeah. function, it does mean it's going to be like an, an easy bus- button to press in terms of getting a response. But it also means that it's an important thing to, to explore. Why yeah. are we socially complicated about that? Yeah, And, you know, it's an experience
0: as well. Like men draw on like experiences. Why shouldn't women? Oh God, just another set about wanking. Just leave it alone, guys. <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah, I mean, there's... I mean, I, you can come at it from two perspectives with that one. I think part of it is part of it is a a sort of a genuine oh god we've heard this before but part of it is definitely like that is rooted in misogyny there's like we don't want to hear about like you know the the functional side of the um, you know third party uh, genitals that we enjoy recreationally as, as straight men like there's a definite element of that within male audiences I mean you know fuck it i love period jokes if they're doing something new but then you know i like that's the same for all jokes yeah exactly and you know i have the comedian's attitude to comedy which is oh i see how that works like i need something genuinely new and innovative to actually make me laugh unless i've unless i'm trashed or have properly unhooked my critical brain it's it's a lot harder um yeah yeah
1: no and i agree i agree with you know i agree with that and and i mean what 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 can be done and what is that that landscape like in comedy i mean you you are you fall into all of the like danger danger he's going to be one of those annoying comedians <laughs> but when you do your set particularly your current mm. set you actually call out those annoying comedians people not to be misogynistic and racist yeah yeah and you you sort of say that and not to say that you're a hero for it because you know you should and so should I and so should I hear that
0: women I'm solving I'm doing feminism for you you're welcome it's
1: not it's not hard for us to to do that like it's it's you know it's much harder for for women to speak out against this stuff than it is for us but but that said what is that landscape like and and what can we do about it
0: oh cracky. um (laughs) solve it all like women get asked
1: that all the bloody time (laughs)
0: um yeah i mean in many ways like i'm the wrong person to ask because yeah. i'm a man in comedy rather than a woman in comedy so what's it like not being a woman in yeah comedy? easier <laughs> is the, is the short answer i mean you know it's not rocket science i mean like you know it's not hard to book a uh you know make sure that you book at least one, one woman for a prominent spot on any given bill that you're booking like it's not hard there are enough good female comedians out there that is not difficult um, you know if, if you are struggling for one let me know I will find you one like you know but
1: also isn't it about making your club a good experience that women are going to want to come to like Absolutely. policing your audience to a certain extent policing yeah. your acts to a certain yeah. extent I mean, not in the kind of I'm. I'm thoroughly against the police in political terms. <laughs> so the word policing is probably not 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 quite the one I'm going for. Like negotiate with your acts, yeah. negotiate with your audiences, and that's kind of what you're doing explicitly. Yeah. You know. But what about you know? What What do you do when you're in the clubs? Like, do you do you speak out in the clubs against those people?
0: Uh, if it comes up and it's like that, and you've got somebody who's being super disruptive, and they've just I mean, if they've been A real nuisance throughout a female act set and you are on next like you've kind of got two choices um and you either engage with that heckler that problem individual or problem group straight away and smack them down the trouble with that is that if you are if you are a comedian and you are trying to deal with hecklers or disruptive members of the audience you need to swat them down very carefully because you need to do that with a gentle hand that still keeps mm. the audience on board. Well, there's a power it's, dynamic
1: too, right? Yeah. As well.
0: well, you need to... This is the thing. You need to reassert that dynamic, but you need to rule with kindness. Like, you if you if you look like you are, you know, a humourless prick there to ruin everyone's time, the audience will turn on you and you will have a terrible set. You need to do both things. You need to make it clear that it's a problem while also maintaining the audience's trust. Tough. Uh, and tough it line. is a tough tough line um often i mean 90 percent of the time hecklers are nowhere near as popular as they think they are and the audience will usually be on your side if you slap them down that doesn't mean that you don't have to do it carefully and humorously so that's your main thing that's that that's the main approach the other is You leave it or you have a chat with them afterwards or you have a chat with the MC and say i need those people shut down or quiet down they need to have that pointed out or fuck it like if you're having a good time you may as well just and you know it's a gig that you don't you know you don't need the goodwill of the promoter you don't need the goodwill of the audience not being paid then fuck it give them both barrels do that that can be quite fun
1: i mean what about other acts you know
0: um do you sorry
1: if you're on a bill and somebody comes on and basically uh, disobey like you know the, the routine you've got yeah like it's there, there's some other, there's some cr- comedy crimes that aren't that are crimes of just being not good yeah. and then there's some comedy crimes which are crimes of kind of ideologically berating an audience with your foul uh, yeah. ideology and you will be in have been in rooms on lineups yes. where people will have done rape jokes will have done misogyny yeah. uh, and you know I mean I don't go to very many comedy nights for this kind of reason i yeah. hear a lot of like problematic things about them. i'll only go to ones i know aren't going to be un- unenjoyable i guess that's cowardly in some ways I should, <laughs> maybe i should be going to all of the terrible ones and standing up and heck- heckling in a kind of like the opposite way than hecklers normally do yeah. but but when you're when you're when you're on those lineups what, yeah. i mean what do you do in those situations
0: um it's again it's tricky it depends to be honest it depends a lot on like the level of seniority uh, the comparative seniority of you and the uh, offending comic if they are a more junior comic then I have absolutely no problem going up to them at the end and saying like you know why the audience turned on you there it's because of this you might think that's funny let me explain why it isn't et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, But, you know, you have to do that in a way that's non-confrontational, it's not adversarial, and it has to be about helping them improve their craft rather than going, you're wrong, listen to me, I'm correct. Because people... And I say people, I do mean men, because it's almost universally men, will interpret that as a threat. And, you know, they don't think about that as constructive criticism. They don't think about that as a political engagement. They think about that as like, oh, right, brilliant. So we've just started this new round of penile jousting for dominance of this social conversation. If it is somebody who is more senior, then, to be honest, like the most you can really do is just say like, yeah, that was not okay. um, or blank them backstage yeah. there's a weird atmosphere backstage like everyone seems to think that particularly if somebody's done badly and there is you know quite a strong relationship between somebody abusing the audience and having this sort of content and doing badly because audiences genuinely don't like that aside from your proper like rugby club working men's club like the the extreme end of the spectrum like you sort of you know your junglers portsmouth mm. your south end anything like Aside from that, most people don't want that. And even if a section of the audience wants that, most of the audience doesn't want that. So it will be quieter. Most comedians don't go out there and they don't do comedy because the response they want is hatred and confrontation. They do it because the response they want is laughter and approbation. So, you know, if a comedian has been poked into going on the attack against part of the audience part of the reason they will be doing that is because you know they've been they've been nudged into that response by some activity of the audience and the reason the audience will be doing that is in part because they won't be happy for whatever reason that might be because of their own deep-seated problems or it might be because they've taken exception to the material right. so you know you can have this atmosphere backstage where failure is essentially catching nobody wants to talk to the comedian that has just died in case they contract being terrible itis and comedians who've come off stage know that because you don't get the pats on the back you don't get the handshakes you don't get the thumbs up you don't get the you know oh well done oh I enjoyed that you don't get the oh I like your line about this that and the other you just walk off to no eye contact and people just are like moving away so you know I've certainly shared a few glances with other acts backstage where an act has been on stage doing that sort of thing or massively overreacting stuff where it's like yeah we're just gonna It's going to ignore this person when they come back off. And that sounds like a really wimpy, passive-aggressive way of dealing with it, but, you know some people that's the only real approach
1: well it'll have a real potential effect on comedians anyway in terms of the fact that you are also someone who books and you're yeah. likely to book people if they have demonstrated in front of you that they are all of the things that you don't want them to be for oh absolutely own. yeah and you have good contacts like i say yeah. so, i mean you're, you you I, I would say that if you know people should improve because they should improve but if somebody is in front of you they should improve doubly so <laughs> because it might kind of have some influence on if they get booked in the yeah. future
0: i mean not just by me but also Indirectly, like I'm asked a lot exactly. for, um, oh, well, I've I need a comedian of this type, uh, or like I just need some comedians. And when I say this type, I don't necessarily mean like I, I need a, a woman, I need a brown comedian, stat I mean, more like I need someone of this sort yeah, of level, a
1: surreal comedian, exactly, or, or like I would need um, a political, you know, yeah, or whatever,
0: or somebody who's willing to do an unpaid 10 spot, like right, who is good that would appreciate that and think of it as an opportunity rather than a burden, like that sort of stuff. So, you know it does make sense like I mean this is it's kind of some it's, it's dad's old advice really like make friends on the way up because you'll need them on the way down like don't be a prick yeah. in front of or to people when you are yeah. trying to get somewhere because it will make people less likely to help you like yeah. in order to succeed in comedy you need to be incredibly funny incredibly reliable incredibly nice you need at least two of those and you know you are you, you've, you've got enormous confidence in your ability <laughs> um, and your um, you know incredible like Swiss military punctuality if you think you can get away with being a bell-end to everybody in front of everybody like just you know it's not hard just just try and be nice just try and be nice even if it doesn't come to you naturally then you know give it a go try and try and learn how to fake being a tolerable person you know (laughs) most people come up with the rudiments of a barely functioning personality with enough intellectual effort you know all the clues are there (laughs) anyway
1: yeah i mean so like in terms of edinburgh then like you've you know you've 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 taken a lot of shows to edinburgh Mm -hmm. and you have done a bit of programming but not 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 currently and not loads for the free fringe you've been kind of actively involved in the free fringe and you're a sort Mm -hmm. of supporter of what pbh free fringe does
0: oh very much so i mean
1: how did that how did that happen
0: so i suppose i originally got involved via a chap called richard tyrone jones who is a friend of the show yeah indeed he's been on a few times lovely who i knew through various people so he was the kind of i think the senior cheese in spoken word for a number of years with pbh free fringe this would have been about six and a bit years ago now maybe Coming on for seven years, Fat Kitten were thinking about going up and doing show at the Edinburgh Festival. How can we possibly make this affordable? Oh, oh well, yes. Free that is the answer so first got kind of sucked in doing shows there we had a really good really really good first run up there sold that run which is really lovely and then just kind of kept at it really less involved with the kind of like the internal bits and pieces of it at the moment I'm mostly you know I'll pick up responsibility for doing venue captaincy here there and everywhere and helping people with their applications and kind of you know doing a bit of gophering and that sort of stuff done the old benefit gig here and there so that's pretty much the extent of my involvement at the moment
1: and it fits again like with what the kind of approach that you sort of have to mm. the industry it seems to me of like having a, an agreement between an audience and, and a performer of kind of cutting out some of the middle people yeah. um, but also making it kind of affordable for yeah. people who haven't got money yeah and making it I, I think it's kind of quite a nice thing to think of kind of pay what you like as almost an opportunity for people mm. with privilege to unburden themselves with some of that <laughs> privilege to, to sort of like yeah. balance it out rich yeah. people should pay uh, and, and people with no money shouldn't yeah. and that's a great like that's how that's what the welfare state is supposed to do yeah. however in, a, in, a, in select comedy and arts gigs you, you can be provide that welfare state in, in yeah, general yeah. terms get out there strike and and get politically active but that's,
0: you know. <laughs> yeah but in this limited context you do what you can with the tools you have available in the context in which you are operating and the free and inverted commas model is a very good one for that sort of thing and it provides Needs benefits not just for the audience but also for the performer like the audience gets to take a risk on something they wouldn't ordinarily see without having to stump up 10 15 quid for it in advance and for you know an unknown comedian who's done no telly or radio and is very unlikely to do either of those things that's enormously helpful like because uh, you get you, you have the potential to get an audience in there and yeah that that is an entirely reciprocal arrangement and also like when you're up and around in edinburgh doing shows you will have audience people who are seeing i mean you know a lightweight commitment is seeing six shows a day if you're yeah. having a festival yeah. holiday yeah. you can't afford to spend a tenner at all of those well, most people can't anyway so being able to pepper that with a few pay what you like shows is very helpful it means that you can help fill in the gaps in people's schedules and you know up to a fiver is a perfectly reasonable price to pay for a show if you are not having to pay any higher costs like that's a a very reasonable price point i think um and that's generally what i shoot for with a bit of an upsell like i was doing um dvds and tea towels this year as a way of kind of reciprocal giving i think i'm not sure what the technical term is so this year at the fringe i was doing like oh give me what you like bring along all of the people blah 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 if you like the show please tell your friends if you didn't please tell your enemies all of this but also if you're generous enough to give me a tenner you can have a dvd of last year's show and a tea towel with my terrifying face on um <laughs> and i had like well over 100 people doing that People um, were
1: up for those terrifyingly faced <coughs> tea <t-tiles.
0: laughs> Yeah, yeah, the tea tiles. Yeah, when like hotcakes, <laughs> I shifted about 110 of them and I'm now, it's also a nice thing I can do at gigs round about the country. If I'm doing a gig and maybe I'm not quite being paid enough to cover the cost of it, but I can get like a headline set and I know that there's going to be a decent audience, then it's worth my while to bring along some merch and say, hope you enjoyed my set. I'll be flogging DVDs and t five or each at the end of the show. And that's quite a good way of like topping that up. And it makes a lot of gigs that I would really like to do, but couldn't really afford to do viable. And it makes some gigs where it's like, ah, it's not really enough money, is it? Okay, I appreciate you can't charge more because of the type of gig it is, all of this kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. But I can top that up with selling a bit of merch. Um, and that makes... Uh, uh, yeah, it means I can reach more people, more and more interesting gigs, which is yeah, very helpful. But you know, if you give people something, it's giving people an excuse to give you more money, basically, because they sort of want to already, but they want an excuse to give you that little bit extra, because in their minds, they sort of think that the show is maybe as good as the ones that they paid a tenner for at big four venues. But you know, mutter, 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 mutter. But if they're getting something in return, it's like, yeah, okay, fair enough. That seems like a reasonable price for that, and I'm aware that. It, you You know, there is a margin on those things. That's kind of fine. Yeah, people are kind of fine with that, really. The other wonderful thing about the free model is that like if people really like your show is that because it doesn't cost 10, 15 quid a pop, people might come back like I had several people for like a scripted stand-up show come back like three four times over the course of the three weeks Mm. it was just astonishing like I just did not expect that at all like with the improv stuff you can sort of see why like if you've got a good improv show that is watchable and there is genuine variety and there's other stuff going on maybe you've got a different guest group in each day you're doing a different format something like that then it's kind of understandable that you might get people back if they're kind of filling in a regular gap of time. Okay, fair enough. But with the stand-up scripted show, it's like, wow, you yeah. really like this or have no imagination or, like, really value routine. Like, you know, but you can, you can have that and you can build up that kind of following if you are doing a free show, whereas people are not going to spend between 40 and 60 quid to see your show four times unless – I mean, unless you're Stuart Lee, you know, let's be honest. Yeah. So. Right.
1: But then, I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> Although you could have, you know, I, if you if you were lucky enough to be in the room on the last of the uh, day of the Edinburgh Festival a y- couple of years oh, ago, yeah, you would yeah. have seen him pretty much on the free model it, at, <laughs> on, at Stand Up Tragedy, which was yeah. a, a very surreal moment in my life. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, so. The, the, it's been a real pleasure getting very acquainted with you James and like the last question that I ask everybody is do mm-hmm. you have anything to plug and I feel like we've we've mentioned a couple of things that we should come back to in the in, in the plugging section mm-hmm. we said the, the, uh, the living room tour I think uh-huh. you mentioned in your podcast as well they sound like things that are good to plug but never mind my ideas what would you, <laughs> what would you like to plug
0: sure uh, well you should all definitely come to Quantum Leopard if you want to keep up to date with that if you look up Quantum Leopard Comedy on Facebook there is a Facebook group, not a like page because oh like pages are terrible so uh, yeah do that um, that is once a month at the uh, Rag Factory uh, just off uh, Brick Lane in uh, kind of like Zone 1 East London kind of Oldgate, Shoreditch kind of area we'd love to see you pay me like bring your own booze uh, fun for all the family provided all of the family are definitely over 18 oh um, I should plug the uh, Rusty Quill Gaming Podcast um, so this is uh, I'll be honest this is a thing if you are super geeky and into your role playing this is very much a thing for you everybody else your mileage may vary, but I'm told for people who like the um, RP kind of stuff, this is very much your thing. Very good example of it. Yeah, so it's an actual play, role playing podcast um, using the Pathfinder system, and it's got a mix of um, kind of really experienced uh, role players uh, doing it, plus some comedians to make it funny, and I'm one of those comedians, uh, and in that I play a character called Sir Bertrand McGuffingham, um, who is uh, a ridiculous knight. If you can imagine um UKIP in a suit of armour, he's sort of like that. He's basically like Horace Johnson without like the touch for the interests of the working man. Um and he's <laughs> He's quite fun to play. Um, the uh, you can start from the beginning, or I think it's episode eight or nine is also a good jumping in point, I believe. Uh, so that's the Rusty Quill Gaming Podcast, and that's uh, a good shout. Um, if you hunt that down on iTunes or SoundCloud, I'm doing a front room tour, a nationwide tour of people's front rooms. Um, mostly booked up for that at the moment, um, but uh, basically I'm cutting out the middleman in comedy uh, by not going to the horrendous bear pit clubs. I'm going to cut out the middleman and do my show for you lovely people in your front room for your mates and mates of mates if you can cram like a dozen people in and put me up for the night i will come to basically anywhere in the country and do my show for you and have um, you done some of them already not yet i've got um, a couple set up towards the end of the month Excellent. um yep and then uh, some more i'm kind of putting in for kind of february march ish basically i was just kind of Throughout Edinburgh, it, it becomes increasingly clear that there's a really good audience out there for like good, thoughtful, kind comedy, um, and it's particularly underserved. I think once you've left. London and a handful of other major metropolitan centres, particularly for the kind of the more alternative stuff. Like, there's a really strong alternative comedy scene in London, Brighton uh, to some extent, uh, Liverpool, and Manchester have their moments. I hear there's some bits and pieces going on in Newcastle, a few bits and pieces going on in maybe Edinburgh and Glasgow if you're kind of more in a cabaret direction, but not much if you are outside of those places so i am going to places that are not quite those places that maybe don't have access that are basically full of you know jonglers and jonglers light kind of comedians and doing this lovely show for them uh, nice. to try and bring bring comedy to the people nice. kind of thing so that's kind of the plan with that and yeah I had a really good response to it i had about 30 40 people um, interested i'm probably going to end up on the back of that doing about 15 20 ish i reckon gigs which is not a bad response rate when it comes to that sort of thing, frankly. And yeah, it should be super fun. And um, if I can work out how to do video editing and what sort of camera I should use, then I might end up doing a little bit of documenting that, which would be quite fun. So it'd be like a one-man road trip, which would be lovely. If you want to follow me on the Twitter, I am at James Ross Comedy. Uh, and, uh, Facebook is a pretty good way of getting in touch with me. Um, I am, uh, James Ross. I am the James Ross that doesn't have the Confederate flag for his Facebook photo. That is, that is very much another guy. Don't, don't talk to that guy. Um, I'm, I'm much more the North will rise again. That's a it's quite a different quite a different thing. But mostly, you should come to Quantum Leopard because it's brilliant and we have loads of people come back month after month, and it's a really lovely atmosphere. And we have bunting and brownies, and you can bring your own booze and not spend fucking twenty five quid a night and go and see a load of shit munchers. Just you know, go oh my wife, take her. Go on, take her. Hey, and break it down for spare parts because I'm violent and that's funny for some reason. It's <laughs> not. That's what that isn't. So. Come along to Quantum Leopard. Quantum Leopard Comedy on the Facebook. Uh, It'd be lovely to see you. And if you don't like it, then, frankly, it's very good. And it's really full. And so it's your problem and we don't need you. So bear that in mind.
1: Yeah, why is it called Quantum Leopard?
0: I, I thought it was an interesting combination of words. It's the smallest possible leopard. It's like it's an indivisible leopard. Also, the other idea was like... I had an idea for a routine that I could never quite make work about the quantum leopard. So, you know, in Quantum Leap, where it's Dr. Sam Beckett is leaping from body to body to try and make history better according to the guiding principles of like, you know, early 90s liberalism. Um, It's one
1: of my big cultural reference program. yeah
0: oh no it's great i love the show it's great it's a it, it's a show that believes in goodness and improving things which i don't think there's enough of frankly yeah, in sure. this post 9 11 era where every problem is solved with torture but the the idea of the quantum leopard is that it's a leopard that leaps from body to body throughout history and just you know not making things better, just mauling people to death because it's a leopard you know one small one small step for man one giant leopard for mankind <laughs> you know more yeah. to death on the moon because it's the space leopards how did you get in my suit like i, I could, could never quite make it a proper set it always seemed a bit forced so this is its its this secret it, double life it getting yeah. getting out there for a moment yeah um, so
1: yeah i mean the last thing i ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to
0: the audience <laughs> <laughs> bye audience you seem nice
1: If you'd like to donate to Getting Better Acquainted, go to www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk, which has a button on it where you can sign up to donate via PayPal. If you listened to today's episode and you thought, what I'd like is to hear Dave talking for around about an hour then go over to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast and listen to the most recent episode, which is me doing my solo show about my relationship with being a man, which is called What About The Men? Mansplaining Masculinity. To find out more about that show and to donate towards helping me continue making that, go to www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. Or go over to the Stand Up Tragedy website, which is www.standuptragedy.co.uk. This year, Stand Up Tragedy aren't doing any of our normal variety nights, but we are still putting on Stand Up Tragedy Presents events, where we showcase performers doing double bills of their full-length shows We've booked in two of those at the Dog Star in Brixton on the 13th and 14th of July where four of our favourite performers will be previewing the tragic shows that they're taking to the Edinburgh Festival this year. You can find Getting Better Acquainted and any of my other podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher and anywhere else that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. All the things I do are on Facebook, so you can find them and like them or friend them on Facebook. Getting Better Acquainted is on Twitter at GBA Podcast. Stand Up Tragedy is on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.